Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Hilton Westland. And would you stand and rise as we sing this morning? Seated above, enthroned in the fire. 
thirsting to die, poured out for all mankind. God's only Son, perfect and spotless one. He never sinned, but suffered as if he
Father, we are here today because of Christ. He is worthy to receive praise and honor and glory. Every accolade we can possibly give and infinitely more. And we pray that our worship today will will be so enabled by your spirit that we bring you glory And we draw closer to you and to one another as your disciples. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. You probably see people around you that you know. Say hi to them. But I want to encourage you to try to find someone you don't know. Introduce yourself this morning.
It's okay. They can go up there. It's all right. They're excited. In just a minute, they're going, this is uh, kindergarten, first, second graders of our Wednesday Night Boys Club, and they've been memorizing, working on passages of scripture that they're going to recite and read for us today. And uh, it's exciting to see them getting into the Word of God. And as they were talking about that, this, the first service, as they were reading this, um, I, I was just struck by the power of God's Word implanted into our children. And we want to continue to do that. And I suspect a number of us can recall Scripture because of things like this. So we'll hear from them in just a moment. Before we do that, let me just mention a couple of things that are in your bulletin. Um, this week... We are hosting another, this is an annual event, a prayer vigil for our graduates, uh, both college and high school graduates. And we have 48 hours starting Tuesday morning at 6. It'll end Thursday morning at 6. And during those 48 hours, we want to pray specifically for our graduates. Now, you can come to the prayer room and pray about other things, obviously. But uh, the, the primary focus and the reason for doing this is to pray for our graduates. It's a pivotal time of the year. And some of you sitting here are right now in the throes of whatever emotions you have about getting ready to graduate. And so we want to pray for you. And if you're, if you're a graduate, come pray too. There will be a board in there with all of the names of every graduate at the college and, and high school. And uh, so you can pray for them by name or as a group, whatever you'd like to do. But uh, you can sign up this morning online in, in the back. Uh, you can sign up online anytime. Just go to our website, hwchurch.org, and um, you can go to the prayer site. But we, if you want to sign up this morning, we can uh, make, we have that available for you to do that. Next Sunday, worship, 829, 40, and 11. There are always a number of prayer concerns in the bulletin, and we continue to pray about situations related to us here as well as things around the world. There's also an insert in your bulletin about um, volunteer sign-ups. If you're going to be around in May and June... We need uh, assistance for first and third grade Sunday school. We have a teacher now, but we just need some assistance. If you're going to be around for that time, love to have you help. Uh, you can see that you can do, fill out the form or you can contact the church office. And on the back of that, um, we're getting close to this time of the year where we elect our leaders and also have our vision meeting. There's information there about that. There's a ballot posted around and you see there's information about nominate, making other nominations. And there's also copies of the budget. In the back, feel free to pick one of those up, and we'll be uh, talking about that at, at our meeting on May 19th. This year at Boys Club, we've had 13 boys, and we have had five amazing college girls come help us that we just are in love with. And this year we decided that they should learn a Bible passage. And so we've been learning Romans 12, 9 through 21, which is love in action. And each week we learn a new verse. And then we do a Bible story and do some kind of activity about the Bible story and the verse. And it's been exciting to see the boys memorize the scripture, but also put it to use. Um, One of the verses talks about praying for those who persecute you. And what can we do to people who are enemies? And their responses are bring them to your house for dinner, bake them cookies. So it's been exciting for them to um, put the verse into action. And they've been, the boys (laughs) are wild and rambunctious, but they have been a blessing in our lives. And we wanted to share this blessing with you.
At this time, we'd like to invite our ushers forward to assist us with our tithes and offerings. sing with us.
the opportunity to spend some time praying together. If you would like to use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, your words of thanksgiving, adoration, and praise, please come and join me. Otherwise, please be seated. Father, we give you thanks for all that you've done for us in Christ. For the incarnation, his perfect life, his willingness to give himself in death, and your power in lifting him from the grave, ascending into heaven and promising to return. And today we come with grateful hearts for all that you've done and all that you've promised to do. We also come today feeling the burdens of living in a very troubled world. We are burdened by violence and war and threats of war. We are burdened by famine and hunger and disease, drought. We are burdened that there are far, far too many people who do not have the basic necessities to live. And people who live in fear and anxiety and burden. And we pray for your grace upon our world. We pray, Father, for the burdens and the concerns right around us for people who are struggling with illness and recovering from surgeries and pain in various forms, we pray for your healing. We ask for your comforting grace on everyone who is grieving today. We pray, Father, for all who are grieving, not just a physical death, but an emotional loss the death of a dream or a vision. We pray for all who are really struggling about the future, uncertain of what to do, what decision to make, anxious about what the future holds. We pray, Father, for relationships that are simply not what you want them to be and what we want them to be. We pray for your healing grace among us.
the things that we hold against one another, the walls we build. Through your spirit, help us to find reconciliation. Lord, work in our lives. Forgive us for all of our sins and lead us in your truth this day and every day. Help us to see Christ at work in our lives, in our hearts, in every part of our being and in this church. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers. We offer them in the name of Jesus Christ. our risen Lord and the one who has promised to come for us again. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Good morning. Um, Our scripture for today is from Revelations 22, verses 1 through 6, and it's on page 1231 on your pew Bible. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of spirits and prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand as we sing together. Test our thoughts and our attitudes. 
Father, let your words speak into our lives as we continue to worship you this morning. And we pray this through Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Hey, Jeff. Can you slide that banner over? Can you slide that banner? I have discovered through the years that there are a lot of, just kind of push it against the wall over there. That'd be great. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. I've discovered through the years there are a lot of misconceptions about heaven. You know, um, I don't know, maybe some of these cartoons will speak to you about some of the things that you've wondered about heaven. You know, when I was in seventh grade, our youth pastor asked us what we thought heaven would be like, what we would want it to be like. And I got to be honest with you, all I could picture in heaven were, you know, wings and angels and harps. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not, it's not that I'm against wings or angels or harps, but I'm thinking for all eternity, that's it. And for me, that seemed, I got to be honest, it seemed kind of boring. And I, you know, I was vacillating about whether this really was something that appealed to me. And I decided that the most, the best thing I could picture about heaven was a never-ending baseball game. And after first service, someone said to me, were you talking about heaven or hell? (laughs) If you're not a baseball fan, sometimes it feels like they are eternal, some of the games. But we, we have all these misconceptions about heaven. And part of that's because we just don't know. We get little glimpses here or there. A lot of our theology comes from some music that we sing, and it's not always bad. But 
we're just trying to figure it out. And in John's revelation, we get a little bit of a glimpse here and there about what heaven will be. And when we come to the 22nd chapter, we get a clearer picture of at least a part of what heaven will be. It's just, he again reminds us that heaven is some kind of a city. And as we talked last week, the city, he talks, he says in chapter 21, is the bride of Christ. And the bride of Christ in the scriptures is the church. And so this, the heaven will be understood and lived out in the context of the church. The church is not something that we have on earth and then we're done with. The church is something eternal of God. And that's how we will understand God and worship God and be a part of the kingdom of God as the church. And so he says there, there is this city, but we, the picture did in 22 is a little different because he said there's this river flowing down the city, this river of life. And the minute I read River of Life, my mind jumps back to John chapter 4, where Jesus is sitting in a well talking to a woman, and he says to her, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for living water. Because I am the water of life. And now, that glimpse we get of Jesus in John 4, we see the fulfillment of that in Revelation 22. And I'm thinking this River of Life must be symbolic of Jesus who is the water of life. Now it's this rushing river down through the city, and that tells me that the city, at the center of the city, at the center of everything that is heaven, is Jesus. Everything that matters in heaven is related to Jesus. And these misconceptions that we have often about heaven, one of the problems we have is that you you listen, you read, you think about it, and there's no Jesus. I've done hundreds of, officiated hundreds of funerals through my ministry. And one of the, I keep thinking, one of these days I'm going to preach a series of sermons or write a book or something, heresies that I hear at funerals. And, and mainly it's, I mean, I know we, we, we can't wait to see people we've loved. And I think that's going to be a part of it. But ultimately, heaven's about Jesus. And if Jesus isn't at the center of our understanding of heaven, something is wrong with our understanding of heaven. It's only heaven because of Jesus. And he's this river that flows down the city and everything in the city relates to that river of life. And he says in in verse 2 that out of the river of life come these trees. The tree of life on either side of the river is there. And back in the Garden of Eden... The tree of life is planted right in the center of the garden. And, there, and once they, Adam and Eve sin and reject God's plan for them, the tree of life becomes off limits. When we get to heaven, the tree of life will be there for us to eat fruit off of. And it produces abundance of fruit every month, more than people could probably eat. And it nourishes everybody because its root system is in the river of life, Jesus And John says that the leaves of that tree, of the tree of life, are the healing of the nations. Though something about those leaves are going to heal the nations. And I don't quite understand exactly what that means. But what comes to my mind is all of the war and fighting and turmoil between nations. And on that day, all of that will be gone. I think we will still be 
somewhat connected to our nationalities and our races because a couple of times earlier in Revelation, John says, I looked and I saw people from every tribe and nation and language and people group. So there's some distinguishing characteristics. But unlike here in heaven, we won't be fighting. We won't have territories. We will love each other as the church. And we won't love each other because we're all the same. We'll love each other because we're all about Jesus. And there will be no more curse, he says. And the curse of our insecurities that cause us to fight with each other and our grasping for power that causes us to to fight with each other and war with each other, all of that will be gone because of Jesus. And put it, bring it down to a little bit closer scale. It doesn't have to be nation against nation. How about us against each other? And how our insecurities cause us to take advantage of each other and feel envy and jealousy toward each other and try to be better than each other. And instead of serving each other, we're always trying to lord it over each other. And in heaven, all of that will be gone. All the ways we hurt each other, no more. All the pain that we felt from being hurt, healed. Gone. Done. It's hard for my mind to really grasp that. Because it is so out of how we live. And yet we get glimpses every so often. And on that day... All of the ways that, all things that separate us and all the ways that we fight with each other and hurt each other will be disappeared. And ultimately, the end of the curse and the healing of the nations will be about our relationship with God. When Adam and Eve in the garden, before they sin, they have a perfect connection with God. Their receptors for hearing God and understanding God and, and, and seeing God are perfect. But when they sin, the receptors are damaged. And you and I and every person in the world lives with damaged receptors toward God. Our receptors are twisted and bent and broken and shredded and torn. And so we now are confused about God. And we don't always trust God. And we question and we worry and we're anxious about God. And we believe that, we're, that we know better than God does because we're not sure God is really on our side. All of that is the result of damaged receptors. God's message to us of love and grace and mercy and truth hasn't changed. We just aren't getting it. Because our sins have damaged those receptors. On that day, it'll be perfect again. And our relationship with God will be completely, totally healed. And we will trust him. And we will see him for who he is as the God of love and grace and mercy and compassion and truth. Everything that confuses us now about God, everything that we question about God will be cleared up. And it will be awesome. No more worries, no more fears, no more insecurity We will live in the peace and the joy of the presence of God. And it's all because of that river of life that runs through the city that is, represents Christ who was slain and has been risen. 
Here's the thing that intrigues me about this process of healing and this process of, of living without the curse. In verse 4, he says that we will see his face. Now, back in Exodus chapter 33, Moses is on the mountain with God. Can't imagine what that was like. But the chapter before is the chapter that describes the, the whole debacle of the golden calf. Moses, you know, God has brought his people out of Egypt and he's called Moses up on the mountain and he gives him the Ten Commandments and Moses is just this awesome experience with God. It is the most glorious thing you can possibly imagine. Moses with God, when he comes down from the mountain, he's glowing, literally physically glowing because of all that time with God. But while he's up on the mountain, the people get anxious and, and they're, you know, they're kind of thinking their own way. And they talk Aaron into making this golden calf and they begin worshiping this calf and all kinds of revelry and, and, and sin and you know, just immorality. Everything you can imagine at this, this party this, around this golden calf. And Moses comes down and he sees what's going on and he is furious and he smashes the tablets and then takes them to task and there's punishment that's meted out and you know all things happen and now you come to chapter 33 and Moses is back up on the mountain and it's the 10 commandments 2.0 and he's you know has to get them again because he's they're laying as rocks down on the bottom of the mountain so he's back up there again and now he's concerned that God is going to not care for them in the same way Moses is worried that after this whole golden calf thing that God is not going to keep not going to do what he originally said he was going to do. But he's fed up with them. He's had enough. It's obvious Moses hasn't yet learned how patient God is. And Moses says to him, Lord, I'm a little concerned. If you don't go with us, what are we going to do? If you don't go with us, we're not going to go. If you don't go with us, then how, how are we any different from any other group of people on the face of the earth? You have to go with us, but I'm concerned about it. I need a sign from you. And he says, show me your face. I want to see you. I want to, in essence, look you in the eye and, and hear your promise. I will be with you. And I can almost hear God saying, kind of laughing to himself, saying, hey, Moses, that's not going to happen. You can't handle that. You think you're glowing now just from sort of being around me. If, you looked, if I looked you in the eye, it'd be over. He said, but I, what I will do is I'll hide you in this place in the rock and you can, I'll walk by and you can see my back. And I don't really understand exactly all that means in that anthropomorphic language of how we describe God. But he gets a little glimpse of God and that's enough. And God goes with them. And now we come to this heavenly image and because of what Christ has done and because of the fulfillment of the kingdom in heaven, now John says that those who are with God there will see his face. He'll look them in the eye. And there will be an intimacy of relationship with God like we've never known before. God will be no longer distant as we sometimes feel God now. He will be personal in a way that none of us can experience on this earth. It will be like the closest friend that we can imagine and then infinitely more. The Almighty God is going to let us see His face and look us in the eye and tell us how much He loves us. 
and how important we are to him. I, I really have a hard time imagining what that's really going to be like. It, I just, all I can say is it, it's beyond my ability to comprehend. But then he also says that not only will they see his face, but his name will be on their foreheads. In Revelation 13, the people who follow the beast, the enemy of God, put the mark of the beast on their foreheads. And when I was reading this through Revelation 22 about the mark of God on the forehead of his servants, I'm thinking that must simply be their way of saying, we are identified with God instead of being identified with the beast. And it might well be that, but I, I can't help but think there's something deeper than that, something maybe that maybe turns that a little bit on its head. And the idea came to me as I was reading again this week C.S. Lewis's essay, The Weight of Glory. And, and he's talking in this essay about heaven and about this idea that, that we will know the glory of God and what that means. And he said the only thing you can think of about glory is that it means fame. You know, if we talk about someone that gets glory on earth, we're talking about them be getting fame on earth. And, and he says, I think that's part of what is, ha- what is being described in heaven, except that it's not fame from other creatures, it's fame from God. That God is going to look at us and honor us with recognition and fame and glory. He says, like a little child. There's nothing more obvious to a good child. He says, not a conceited child, but a good child. There's nothing more obvious to see than when they know that a parent is happy and pleased with them. And you think back in your life when you pleased your parents and they let you know that they were pleased with you and the joy that filled you because of that. And he says, that is, that, that's what, what God is going to do for us. And it's like, it's like a, a child looking at a parent or a, a pupil before a teacher or a creature before its creator. The parent, the teacher, the creator looks at the creature, the pupil, the child and says, I am so pleased with you. And we are filled with joy. He said, I, I read a periodical that, that said the most important thing is for us to know God. And Lewis says, that's not true. He said, the most important thing, and it's not just important, it is infinitely important, is not that we know God, but that God knows us. And if knowing God has any meaning at all, it is only in the context of God knowing us. He said, it sounds a little bit crude to say that we are sort of being recognized by God. And yet, when Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, he says to people who love God, not what we would expect, that they will know him, but rather that they will be known by him. 
And he will look at his people and say, I am so pleased with you. You bring such joy to me. And we actually are going to be a part of making God happy and filled with joy. And I think that has something to do with him, his name being on our foreheads. It's not that we're identifying ourselves with God. It's that God is identifying himself with us. He is not ashamed for us to wear his name. You think, I, th- think, I was thinking back to when I was a child and playing on a, on a baseball team. And all of our teams were sponsored by various businesses. And I played for Citizens National Bank. And it was written across our uniform in Little League. And it wasn't that we chose them, but that they, cho- they chose to sponsor our team. And what we did reflected on them. And I think by and large, they were happy we wore the uniforms. In an infinitely greater way, God is saying, I want everybody to know that I identify with you. That you're mine. And I'm pleased with you. And you bring joy to me. You bring pleasure to me. You bring happiness to me. It's kind of mind-boggling to think that we could have anything to do with being a part of God's divine happiness. And yet, that's what the scriptures seem to be telling us. Because when it's all about Jesus, when our focus is all on Jesus, that pleases God. And there is healing, and there is grace, and there is joy. And heaven is about people who want that joy. Heaven is about people who want to please God. Heaven is for people who desire more than anything to please God and to live in the joy of his presence. And not everybody wants to do that. Not everybody wants to do it now and not everybody's going to want to do it then, as odd as that seems. But so often we believe we know better than God and and our way is better than his way. And then we wonder why we struggle so much with joy and happiness. Heaven's about people who have surrendered themselves to God and who want nothing more than to glorify Jesus. And in that decision, in that life, in that eternal life, is abundant joy as well as abundant life. And in that mindset of eternity, we come to this table. And this table becomes for us an invitation to be connected to God. It's an invitation to to hear God say to us, I am so pleased with you. You bring me such joy. It's an invitation for us to to be a part of the great, joyful, eternal banquet where love is fulfilled and grace is fulfilled and all that God has for us is fulfilled. And we come to this table to get just a glimpse of what God has in store for us. And so this morning, if your heart is turned to God, Despite whatever failings you may have, because we all have them, 
And despite whatever struggles you're going through in your life, if your heart is turned to God, then I want you to rejoice today and to celebrate what God has promised you. And if your heart is not turned to God, if your heart is not all that concerned about pleasing God or caring about Him, then I want to encourage you to take just a moment as we take a few minutes of silence to ask God to turn your heart and to give you a new passion for pleasing Him that you might know His joy on your life. Let's pray. Father, fill us whose hearts are turned to you with your joy. Let us hear you saying, well done, good and faithful servant. You bring me such joy. And for those of us who have not turned our hearts to you, hear our prayers. Heavenly Father, as we come to your table, we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will be poured out on bread and the cup of which we are about to partake. We pray, Father, that this will be food to our souls and joy in our hearts and give us a glimpse of your pleasure Give us a glimpse of what you've prepared for those who serve you. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and then he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. We're going to receive communion this morning by the mode of intention, which means to dip in. As you're released by rows, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup and eat it. And then you may return to your seat by the outside aisle. The altar rail's open if you'd like to stay and pray. And I'd like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. It might be the first time you've worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ, with the desire to, to serve Him, please Him, then you are invited to come and receive these gifts from his gracious, loving hands.
Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.